right. Welcome to the 10th episode of Retail Renegades. Uh, this is Kirk Johnson, Vice President of Sales for Three Square Market. I'm Tony Danoff, President of Three Square Market. Retail Renegades podcast looks at people or businesses who think outside the box. Specifically, we're looking at the vending industry to give everyday people a true perspective of our industry with both the challenges and tri- triumphs that come with it. If you haven't yet, please like and subscribe on YouTube. We'll be posting a new episode on the 15th of every month. We are extremely pleased to introduce Jim Evans to this episode. Jim is the CEO of Evans Coffee, Vending, and Micromarkets. Jim, thanks for joining us, and welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Yeah, so kind of before um, before we hit the record button here, we're just kind of brainstorming, and I can, uh, I can see that uh, there's going to be a lot of history that we talk about here, but uh, let's just started off we were talking your business was started in 1960 and then uh, you know how how did it start what 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 drove you guys to, to get into this industry and then we'll just kind of walk it back from there if that's if that works for you yeah works for me okay well you know Jim you know we've known each other about four or five years now and a lot of interesting stories when we got together and talked over dinner one time and Maybe you could share some of the stories with us, you know, how you started your business, you know, how many years you've been in the business, um, your family, all of the above. Just give us a little history of uh, Evans Coffee. Yeah, I'd be glad to. Uh, um, uh, thank you again for having me and definitely honored to be here uh, with uh, with you guys. So my uh, my mom and dad started this business in 1960 uh, before I was born. And um uh, my dad graduated from high school and uh, didn't know what he wanted to do and started selling uh, urns of coffee out of the back of uh, um, a truck, you know, a van. And he would go to different companies. This is well before there was coffee service, well before all of that, and would stop at different companies and sell of coffee and then said, hey, maybe they'll buy a Danish. And then the next over the months, he sold Danish and then sodas. And then the next thing, he got into these um, catering trucks and um, started with one, started then added two and so forth. And through the 60s into into really most of all of the 70s, uh, he um, had these uh, uh, 50 or so catering trucks. And um, and that was all the rage back uh, back then because it wasn't a fast food um, restaurant on every corner. And uh, in the process of being in the catering business, he, you know, he'd be stopping at this business, stopping at that business. And they'd be like, hey, can you put a vending machine here? You know, because when you know, you may be here at 10. But then you don't come back till two. What happens if somebody on the staff or team wants a soda or a snack? And so then he had this kind of little vending thing going on the side. And when I was very young, I would sit on the kitchen table and he would count these coins that were not through an automated system. It was very basic. And um, uh, and. You know, we would count the money together. And uh, so he was running this catering business or doing these uh, catering trucks and doing these vending machines. And then somebody had said, hey, uh, we would love to be able to have a coffee machine. 
And then he researched that and we started to get into the coffee business in uh, late 70s. And um, around the late 70s, he brought in, um, he met a guy in California that had what they called these California hot trucks, which you or everybody else looks at them now as regular food trucks. And these food trucks are, you know, you might have Chinese food on one, you may have Jamaican food on the other and so forth. But back then, it was really the next step and the next evolution into the uh, catering truck business. And he brought these trucks in from California and we started going down that road. Which was uh, different, Tim, from the 50 plus. So I'm just picturing these catering trucks. They go to a business, they honk their horn, everyone comes down. Is that basically what that business was? It was exactly it. You know, the silverback trucks, they're still float. They're still out there, not I as see. prevalent as they were once. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you open up the two sides, you open up the yeah. back, and people have at it. And and I I worked through high school. Uh, when I was able to drive, um, I was driving these trucks in the summertime. When I went to college, I was driving them during the summer and during winter breaks and such. Uh, and at the same time, the vending business continued to grow. The coffee business continued to grow. Uh, we opened up a branch office in Boston, outside of Boston. Um, we opened up another office in the 80s um, down outside of Philly and just doing, you know, coffee service. And um, the coffee business and the vending business, as that was growing, now you're starting to have more and more fast food chains. You're having a lot more people having access to vehicles, which they didn't really have access. You know, there's a lot of mass transit in the 60s and 70s and not as much as, you know, as time went on. And so people were able to get into a car, go to a deli, go to a fast food and the catering business. Then there was the Costco's on every corner and that. So the catering business began to not really go anywhere. And the vending and uh, OCS business did. And that when I graduated from college, uh, uh, I promise not to make this too long, but I graduated from college. Uh the day I graduated, my mom and dad took me out to lunch and they said, okay, what are you going to do? I'm like, I, I have no idea. I, I guess I'll have to get a job. And my dad said, well, why don't you guys, why don't you come and work for us? I said, doing what? He says, you'll learn the business. And, you know, we were still doing catering. So we're a big, still big catering outfit. We had manual cafeterias all over the place in places like the New York Times and Scholastic and you know, so we were running all of these manual food service um, uh, businesses, still doing the catering and growing the coffee in the vending business. And then I I said, well, I'm going to take let me take the coffee and, and catering business. I mean, in the vending business and let me run with that. Let me see what I can do with that. And that, you know, uh, and that took us to uh, where I am today, which we don't do any catering. Uh but then again, you know, Amazon started as a book company, right? So you don't, the way you start is not necessarily the way you finish. And so, um, uh, and, and took us to now where we do micro markets, we do vending, we do coffee. And uh, we survived a lot of, in the, in the 60 years or so, I guess, that we're in business, uh, we've survived quite a few um, 
things in this country and the latest being this virus. So, yeah. And when you, when you jumped into the coffee and vending, um, you know, where was it? And then where did you kind of put your stamp on that business? Like where did that moment come where you're like, I'm in the right business. I know what I'm doing here. You know, what was that learning curve like? So, yeah, I was never as a, as a kid, I was never really that, I mean, I had friends and I had my network, but I would always be the guy that was kind of always like, yeah, I, was, I wasn't the most outgoing person at that time. I wasn't introverted, but I wasn't the most outgoing. And after I started learning the operations part of the business, the natural progression was to go into sales. And so my dad, my mom and dad said, listen, we need you out there to grow this business and to go into sales. And that was sort of a shock for somebody who never did that before. I really didn't have that in my head. And I said, okay, uh, if that guy can do it, I I'll do, I can do it. And it was a learning curve. Uh, uh, it was tough. But that was really that defining moment to me where you go in, the client never heard of you, you never heard of the client, and you walk out of there and you have a sale. And that sale is this month, it's next month, it's the following month. And you realize that, hey, this is really cool. This, the adrenaline rush that you get from closing a deal is uh, still to this day, many years later, like nothing else. Oh, yeah. Like yeah, you know it better than anyone. Yeah. You no, know, I, I know that feeling, Jim, and it's you can't explain it. When you have it, you have it, that feeling. You know, I was in the vending business for many years, too, and I uh, saw the evolution of the, the validator coming on board and the credit card units, and it, it gave me excitement. You know, the, the BevMax coming over the 12 selection beverage machines, which then increased sales. And when I was growing, um, it sounds like the same thing you were doing, looking for more revenue avenues, and, you know, that's what that brought you in the micro markets the same way it brought me into the sales of micro market because of the future. But maybe tell me a little bit how the inside your business, um, you grew, um, what obstacles you've seen was credit card, um, a big, um, item to you when it came to vending and, uh, then go on to markets. Yeah. Maybe watching your parents counting that, that coin, coin it, it left a stain in your head and you said, I, there's got to be something easier than this out there. You know, what was that solution that you brought forward? When he said that, when you said that, Jim, I remember when I first started, I did the same thing, dumped the bag out and separate the nickels and dimes and me and my wife sat and counted those coins. <laughs> and then it wasn't long after that I bought a old used Franklin coin sorter because uh, I was tired of coin, counting coins. But uh, go ahead to tell about your little bit of your history there. I mean, that was definitely uh, uh, that was definitely a big, you know, as a kid, uh, an eye opener where you do you do see all the money on the table. But, you know, the fact of the matter is, is we're not in an easy business. And uh, I would wake up in the morning and my dad would be gone. And I would eat dinner. And my dad then would come home. And do that six days a week. So getting into this, even before where we are now, which the business was hard before, it's harder now. You knew that you had to work it. This is not, this is a working man's business. What we're in when it comes to 
OCS vending micro markets. You have to work. It. You have to be here. Um, and so that was something that uh, he instilled in me and both my mom and dad uh, instilled in me uh, that if you wanted to be in this business, you had to work at it. And if you didn't work at it, you, you there's plenty of people that did work at it that aren't here anymore. And there's a lot of people that didn't work at it that aren't here anymore. Um, you had to work at it. And uh, uh, and I enjoy it. I enjoy the work. I enjoy the challenge. Um, I enjoy, uh, um, you know, everything that goes along with being in, in the business that we're in. Uh, now. Okay. Well, um, Jim, maybe tell us a little bit how you transition transitioned into micro markets. I know back when I started uh, working to sell micro markets seven eight years ago, there's a lot of people that were very. Um, if I could, even before we jump right into micro markets, on the vending side of things, I'm sure you saw it from from the time Kirk kind of mentioned it from the coins to the bill acceptor. And then that credit card reader, which was kind of what what about what year did that start becoming the norm? I would say it about twenty about twenty years ago, but it took at least seven, eight years to really grab hold because a lot of people at that point the fee structure was too expensive. You know, you had to pay too high a fee because it was a, you know, at that time seventy-five to a dollar bend. And so you're paying a lot for, you know, five, I think five to six, seven cents a vend for a credit card fee. So a lot of people thought that the fee started to come down a little bit, started to be more reliable. I mean, a lot of it was done through um, uh, through some sort of internet and uh, that became more reliable. Then it was like one year, it just went crazy. It took off and everybody was having, uh, you know, some sort of unit on their card, whether it be, you know, USA Technologies uh, or any other of the, the, the brands out there. It, I mean, I remember looking at it, and um, we were we were an early adopter of credit and debit card readers. Um, I lost a big account to uh, a large a, a large uh, vending operator here uh, in our neck of the woods because we didn't have uh, that available, and um, uh, and I said I'm not going to lose another account uh because of that so uh we jumped on it uh you know the mentality a little bit back then was to your point kurt you know are we going to give away you know two three four percent plus we have these um uh residual fees on these cell phone connections for every machine but you know early on it was you know, 10%, 15% of the people use the credit and debit card readers. Uh, most people were still running around with cash. I remember, uh, it maybe to this day somewhat, um, you know, I wouldn't use a credit card for a dollar soda. It just seemed weird to me back then. But now you have the next generation, you know, they're, they come out of school, they go into the workforce and they don't they, they don't carry cash they were given you know uh, uh, card you know school cards that parents could load for them um, 
I was certainly guilty of that with my kids. And, um, uh, and the first thing it is, you know, I have credit card. I'll use that for a soda. I'll use that for a chip. And then COVID hit. And, you know, where it was, it went from 10 to 30% credit card to 50% credit card to now 70% credit card, um, which, uh, which is amazing. You know, people wanted that touchless as much experience from a vending machine and um and and obviously that's not going away yeah and it's helped us it you, you know back then you know if you didn't you know you had dollar bill validators then you had you know it would take one fives and tens but then you'd wipe out coin max now you keep now you have to have exact change it, it really became um uh you know cash became somewhat of a nightmare. You'd lose sales because of it. And so the credit card part of the vending operation really uh, enhanced, you know, um, the quality or the experience of the customer and certainly helped uh, the vending operator as well. Yeah. And when you, um, in those those early days when you, it, it came to my head when you said you lost a big account to an operator using a credit card reader. So it's, almost when I was over in Europe, it's almost, it feels like the same thing with, uh, with a lot of them still stuck on vending machines. And then there's others that are coming in and offering a micro market. And I think they're going to feel the same, same type of pinches is that type of situation you were in there. But, um, if we kind of stay focused on the vending machine business that you had there, was there a point of difference that you knew that you were better than your competition on other than service? Was there anything from the catering side of the business that you were still offering in the vending machines? Yeah, uh, I think we were always ahead of the curve and I still do today. You know, we, you know, I was born with the food background. So when, you know, when vending went from just snacks and sodas to fresh food and that, you know, I had some experience there with, you know, we were at the early start for many years. What we had a commissary here in this building, we manufactured our own food. So the food was prepped by us. We weren't buying it from an outside company and um, uh, and put into our our fresh food machines. And as that as now we backed out of being and running a commissary business because the catering business kind of waned. And uh, we had to source it, but I knew what I wanted. I knew what we produced. I still did. I still do today. Uh, I know what I want in terms of the quality of sandwich. I know what I want from a moisture standpoint in the sandwich. Uh, I know what it, what I want in the way it looks, in the way it tastes, not just freshly made, but what does it taste like tomorrow? You know, what does it taste like when it's in the refrigerator for several hours? So I think we bring a lot of that i certainly bring a lot of that um from my past experiences to the table and try to pass on uh that quality onto our our customers and i think it's been really successful our with the food vendors that we use here uh locally are really good uh it's all locally sourced um we have great relationships uh with them uh we work on new menu items constantly uh, and so, um, uh, that's a big part of it. And I enjoy that just from my, my history of growing up in, uh, in the commissary world. Yeah. World. 
Yeah, if you want to, I, I think you guys started the micromarket journey together. I mean, you want to kind of yeah, touch on so, that. You know, one thing I noticed about Jim, I think I was there for, I don't know if it was one of the first ones or somewhere around the first couple. And one thing I noticed about Jim, um, as you travel the country, he set it up right. I mean, he he didn't skimp at anything. He he put the fixtures together very nice. Uh, the product displayed very well. Um, you had it categorized. You had uh, signage. Um, everything looked great. And I mean, the comments that people gave you uh, whilst there when they saw that market were just pretty much wowed. And I, I guess even job. before that, Jim, what what drove you to get into the micro market? Did you have someone that offered it, and then it was like you know, kind of Groundhog Day all over again with that operator that, that offered the uh, credit card readers for the vendors? No, it, it wasn't that way. Actually, we we had a customer that asked us about micro, like having a micro market. And, you know, this is going back several years ago. And although micro markets were more prevalent West Coast initially, it was slower to adopt here on the East Coast. Um, you know, it, it was okay. We were doing vending machines. They were redoing their floor, um, in, in a, in their building and wanted to have a micro first, it started with vending and then they wanted to have a micro market. And, um, so, you know, I needed to do a lot of research. I had some time, but a lot of research really quick. So I really looked at some people that I knew in the industry, West coast that had them. And they were doing pretty well with them. But I wanted to know why people failed in them. I wanted to know why people got into it and then got out of it. And there was a common denominator with most of that. And that was the way they presented the product. They did it. They cut corners. They put things on wire racks. Um, it, it wasn't inviting. The food was kind of all over the place after, you know, a lunch or something. You saw the, the food scattered. And then you had companies saying, well, I'm not going to do this anymore. It doesn't work for us. We're going to stay in vending. But the guys that were successful, especially some of the real larger West Coast guys at the time, looked at it differently. And they said, hey, we have to have surrounds. We have to have everything has to kind of. It can't look like a city landscape where you have taller things and shorter things. Everything has to be uniform on top. It really has to, you have to define the space, has to be well lit. Um, and so that was really the first part of it. You know, then we looked at, okay, now the software. You know, uh, how do we how do we pick the right software company? And um to me, you know, I look back at it and you say, well, that was an easy selection. You pick Kurt. They have a great they have a great product and great team. But, um, you know, I really looked at I really looked to examine what the software did, what we were getting for our money, not not so much what the software cost. But if there was a problem, that's what you look at. That's what that's the team that you that that I wanted to be attached to. And um, spoke to some people that were using Three Squared early on. They were very happy. Uh, and so, okay, we said, let's, let's do it. Now, you're doing – years ago, if you start a vending company, 
and you buy a snack and you buy a soda machine and it doesn't work in an account, you just pick them up and you put them in another account or worst case, you put them on, you know, you put them, well, now it's on eBay, but you put them in the newspaper or whatever back then and you just sold the equipment and you're out. <laughs> we were buying a kiosk. And if this didn't work out with the customer, because we didn't know what we were doing, we were we didn't understand the theft, we didn't understand the product selection, whatever, um, we had a boat anchor because it's not like you could take this thing and move with it. So it had to work. And thank goodness it, it, it did. And uh, I looked at um, uh, Kurt and his team helped a lot in uh, – uh, answering a lot of our questions as far as, you know, um, the, the products that we were vending, how they were displayed. The other thing is, is although MicroMars has been around for now quite some time, I mean, it's relatively new, but quite some time. In this area, Vistar didn't have all this stuff initially, right? So, um, you know, on the one hand, people are telling you, don't sell all these vending items. You're going to be disappointed. You really got to, you really got to go in and put more convenience store items in. You know, we had to wait for those. Uh, Vistar was slowly adding them, but you know, we, us and other companies like us in this area, we're all kind of doing it at the same time. We just kind of had to wait for them to catch up. So we were, it was a little bit uh, gnarly there with our first market, and then you get the first market. And now you want to scale this thing because you really want to make it so that it's a viable uh, option uh, for your for your customers because you are now bringing in you know cases of product and you're able to move them through your different markets and so we've been able to scale that and continue to. Yeah, I mean, what uh, I guess, okay, you figure out the product sourcing um, and was there a moment where you kind of saw an increase in sales and you're like, all right, we've got something here. Um, you know, did you have one of those aha moments just speaking to a lot of operators out there? You know, I've heard anywhere from two times sales to five times sales to, you know, some saying 10 times sales. Did you have one of those moments where it was like, okay, I've got a real revenue generating business here if I start committing to these. You know, the first, the very first account was, like I said, it was a vending account. They were redoing this floor that was unoccupied at the time. It was, they, they acquired this other floor in the building and they wanted to put a market, but they were keeping the same amount of staff. So we kept the vending on the other floors, but we had this market on this floor. And not only was the market doing really well, it didn't, it, the sales from the vending didn't go down either. So we, it was like an incremental sale for us. And then we said, it, so it wasn't like we were replacing a vending account on the first one. Subsequently we have, but um, so we looked at it and said, huh, it didn't really take from the vending sales. The vending sales are still pretty strong. And I have all this incremental revenue that I didn't have before. So, um, uh, so then I looked at it and I said, okay, let's now, let's see if we get the next one. And we got the next one. And we replaced vending in that one. We took our vending out, we put it in, and we saw a bump of about 40% on that, which was significant, um, I thought. And um, 
and it's pretty much been on that. We we don't see two times, three times, five times sales, but we do see significant. Um, we do see significant uh, revenue increases by, you know, you're going from 40 selections maybe in a vending machine to 200 selections in a market. And the fact now that, you know, there's a lot of laws out there that require you to post the nutritional information uh, so the customer has um, a way to be able to see what's on the package. And you can't do that behind glass. They can certainly do that in the market. And so uh, having that market really checks that box. People can really pick it up, look at the nutritional information, see if that nutritional information is right for them, and then make the purchase. Yeah. From a, I mean, from a technological standpoint, was it was it much of a hurdle for you to get, get into that from vending or... Um, have you guys been able to make that transition pretty seamless or as seamless as possible? It was, um, uh, there were hurdles. I'm probably forgetting some of them. Uh, you know, when you get your first one, you're going to over-service it, which we did. We probably didn't make much money on the first one just simply because we were there all the time. We were, um, you know, when you go in and you put the products out for the first time, you're not really sure what the popular items are going to be. You know, it's interesting. You know, you, you put beef jerky in a vending machine, you can't sell it. You put it in the market, you can't keep it in. So it's it's kind of weird in that way where a product will sell in a market and you can't sell it in the vending machine for some reason. And um, so we had some of that learning, you know, learning experience. Uh you know, putting things next to the register versus, you know, hidden organizing things so that uh, they were easily found uh, by the customer. So there is there is a learning uh, curve. There is uh, early on, we did not planogram our markets. We do now. So all our markets go out with a planogram. Uh, but back then, you're just, you know, you're you're not sure. You're not sure until you get some data. Uh, you're really not sure what to expect. And then once you get that data, uh, then you can say, oh, okay, now we can planogram it, and we kind of move things around depending on customer. But you know, it's all planogrammed out now. What what would you say is your guys' biggest point of difference versus your competition right now in the marketplace? <sighs> um, I, there's several points of difference. Uh, the first really has to do with the um, uh, the fixtures uh, and the way we display our items. I'm extremely picky on how my items and how our items are displayed in a in a uh, micro market. Uh, I look at uh, that being really the the key to when somebody goes up and they buy something that that product is easily found. It's there. Um, uh, in quantities enough to support. So we, we look at, we say, okay, we don't have, uh, or we sold five chips and next time we should bring eight, or we should bring 10. So making sure that the product is there for the customer. Uh, I think we have a, a software advantage for sure. I mean, look, this is not an easy trek. Anytime you deal with software around, around, uh, whether it's your home computer or whatever, you have challenges. But the fact is, is that we can come back to your team 
and they solve the things that we that are necessary to make the customer happy. Uh, I think really sets us uh, sets us apart as well. Um, uh, the fact that yeah, I still go and I look at and I visit my accounts. I walk in, I say hello. Uh, I look at how the product is displayed. Um, we react very quickly. Our customers don't have to wait days to get service um, or to get a product. If we have to, we'll go to Costco, at least out of the gate, to go get it, to get it in the market. Then we'll worry about sourcing it down the road. Um, so we'll do things that some of the larger guys can't do because it's it's that ship that has to turn and it takes a long time. You know, I'm I'm in a center console. You know, if I got to turn, I'm I can turn uh, on the dime. And so mm-hmm. those are things that really uh, really set us apart. I think. Hey Jim, um, I like the ship. I, I talked about my stepdad talked about it in the early days. You know, the the ship's turning too slowly. We got to figure out a way to get it turning faster. So that's uh, a comment I haven't heard for a long time. Um, has the micro markets opened any doors other than your traditional vending for you since you started? You mean doors and getting accounts? Or? Like, uh, you know, uh, I know you talked about apartments. You've talked about some other different industries. Um, you know, you seem to be always looking to see where a market will work well. You know, will it work yeah. in a transit train area downtown, stuff like that? Certainly. I mean, it's opened up a ton of doors in that way. We have um, we're working on several brand new apartment complexes now uh, where, um, uh, you know, it seems like they're building these apartment complexes to have everything internal. They have a restaurant. They have a movie theater. They have a bar. They have places to gather. They have a pool, and they want to keep everybody almost as if they are in, um, it, it, you know, their own club, their own country club kind of thing. It's got a country club kind of feel. In the same token, they want to be able to have somebody be able to get uh, uh, a gallon of milk, or a paper towel, or or what have you. So we're seeing a lot of that. I mean, there's, you know, we live in an area of the country where there is a lot of older apartments. So although they'll want um, a market, you know, sometimes the challenge is trying to fit it. You know, how are we going to fit this? How are we going to make this work? And, you know, sometimes the building management will make the space. And we have a couple that are actually doing that right now. We have two uh, new apartment complexes that we act- I worked on uh, with the architects to make sure that they have all the right um, uh, uh they have this right space, the right electric, the right um, internet, and such, so that it fits when they're ready to open. We'll 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 move right in with our with our thing. So, in that regard, you see it. But also now, especially now, um, I don't. I said after COVID in September, and then we went backwards a little bit. But especially now after COVID, um, you know, hopefully this is behind us now. But now you get companies, uh, and we're working on another, uh, uh, and I had a call with them early earlier today, uh, again, with their architectural team, where they closed down their cafeteria. Their cafeteria is not coming back, but they want a micro market. We got the business. We got the bid. 
and I'm working with their team now because they're very, they want to know exactly where the camera is going to be, exactly where the monitors are going to be, and exactly how the look and feel uh, is going to be. And I was on the phone, uh, we're not on the phone, but I, I back and forth with email with somebody on your team because I wanted to show them some options and fixtures. You know, some people want the fixtures a little bit more laid back. Some people want some additional signage. So I wanted to give them some some options as they're building out the space uh, so that their fixtures will match their, their decor. Um, so, you know, we're seeing a lot of a lot of that uh, where, you know, an office that was a corporate headquarters or uh, senior leadership was there, they would not want to have vending machines in their lunch area. It, they're just metal boxes and the look just didn't match. So they said, you know what, let's keep them out or put them by the freight elevator. Now, they want the market right there. They want the market in the lunchroom. Uh, they want people to see it. They're excited about it. Some of them, uh, as you guys know, are given stipends to their employees daily, weekly, monthly, uh, because that cafeteria doesn't exist anymore, or because they want to have an incentive for the uh, the employee to come back to the office. So we're seeing a lot of things now that we didn't see even two years ago. Uh, so those doors, I think, are just going to continue to open. Uh, I think there are going to be things that uh, come into this fray in the micro market space that we haven't thought of before, or we thought that maybe that's a possibility. And I, I think those those things will come sooner than later. People are going to want to make ice cream, I think, in their markets, not just by a, a novelty, but actually have something like that. Uh, you know, the expanding part of the, the coffee uh, uh, arena to not, you know, to, to really be uh, more than just cappuccinos and lattes, but really to expand that whole uh, that whole area, that whole beverage space. So uh, I see a lot of things uh, coming forth over the next several years in this in where we are, even to the point where uh, I think you know uh, almost Amazon goish. You know now you can't you can't really see that because the technology is expensive, but it's like anything else. Technology, uh, the expense on technology will come down as people adopt and 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 go into this. And so uh, I just think that that's those are things that we're going to continue to see as time goes on. You know, I think you're spot on. I mean, with everything you hit there, that was it's cool because you do align with the visions that we bounce around the table um, with everything. So it's nice to hear it from someone that's out in the field every single day. But Jim, just being conscious of your time here, um, you took over a family business from, from your mom and dad. Do you have kids that are coming up? Or are they working in the business right now? I, I have children and I have four. So I have two that are out of college and two still that are going through the program. But I, uh, so far, the two older ones are off doing the things that they want to do. Um, who knows with the younger guys? Um, you know, I'm one of six kids, right? And I was the only one to survive in this business. We've all kind of come through here one time or the other. And it is not easy to uh, 
work in a family business. And so um, I'm sure you talk to other operators and they've said the same thing. And, you know, whether it's their, their children working in it now or whether they came up through the ranks, um, it's a challenge. And I'm not going to force my children to, to do it. I would like it. But uh, they have to kind of uh, figure it out for themselves and uh, um, see what happens. But you know, was it uh, any summer high school jobs? Did they work at the business at all? Or yeah, I mean, we've done, you know, yeah, we've had things where it's gotten busy here uh, for different reasons, and they've come through and they've walked worked in the warehouse. Um, I've even had nephews work here and the, the, um, uh, you know, doing different things and just learning about, you know, um, what it takes to run something like this. It's, you know, uh, the premises is, and look, if they're, if they're smart enough to, to do something else or they want to find a dream somewhere, go have at it. Um, in this business, it's, 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 it doesn't start as an office position mm-hmm. and um, you have to learn it and you have to be able to run it so that we can make decisions and the right ones accordingly. And so, um, but we'll see. Um, I'm not going anywhere for a while. I, again, I got two kids that I still got to get through the rest of their school uh, that are left. And, um, and I still love uh, uh, what I do. I mean, Kurt and I had, I've had these conversations before and, uh, you know, he loves what he does and, um, has the same excitement. And so long as we have the same excitement, uh, why not, why not just continue to, to, to move forward? I'm not, uh, I'm certainly not, um, uh, done, uh, certainly putting the mark on this industry, at least in this little neck of the woods here in New Jersey. So, yeah. Well, Jim, also, you know, we just got a minute here, so I just also want to congratulate. Uh, Jim was on the cover of Automatic Merchandise a few I months ago. That. Yeah, congratulations. Um, very good article on you, Jim. Um, everything looked great. I mean, uh, when you look at people, you know, be proud of what they've got. And we're very proud of our partnership with you and what you've done um, up to date and looking forward to the future with you. Uh, no, I, I, I appreciate that for sure. Uh, you know, to be on the cover of a trade magazine uh, is really cool. I thought that was cool. And uh, it was actually, Kurt, our second time uh, on the cover. Uh, we were on the cover, well, I think, in the, uh, about 20 years ago or so. We're in that, right in that kind of ballpark. But um, uh, but it was nice to be recognized in, in there. And, uh, yeah, your support, the people at Three Squared, I mean, it's, you know, I know a lot of people by first name. I have a lot of phone numbers from you guys just because of the things that we work on between your marketing people, your tech people, uh, and obviously um, uh, other people within your support. Uh, they've been great. And uh, it's those partnerships. I, I do want to say one thing is that in um, in the world we are right now, um, partnerships with the people that you do business with, and I don't care where it is, is the most important thing that I look at. And a partnership isn't you selling me something and me buying it, and that's it. That's not a partnership. That's a vendor, vendor of vendee kind of relationship. I um, look at a partnership as somebody that is there when there's a problem, 
is there to help us grow and is there to educate us, to give us ideas, to share things with us so that we can implement them here. We're, we're certainly not on an island. We want it. There's people that are doing things in other parts of the country that they may have had some successes with. And certainly we want to be able to um, hopefully share in some of those successes as well. So that's what we look at. That's what we look for. That's what three squared has given us over the years. Uh, and um, I certainly look forward to uh, working with you guys as time goes on, at least for the right, Kurt, at least for the next 10 years. Right. Correct. <laughs> 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 so okay. Well, I would say, yeah, I know that you're busy. So um, I just want to say one last, you know, 60 years in business, that's no small feat. So thank you for spending time with us on this episode. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it, taking time out of your day. We know it's a, it's a busy life out there. Um, but that wraps up the 10th episode of Retail Renegades. Uh, we'll release a new episode on the 15th of every month. So anyone that's out there listening, make sure you like and subscribe. And we'll continue finding great businessmen like we have on this one with Jim. So thanks a lot for all your time and your all business. Right, gentlemen. Thank you again. And uh, thanks for the time. And uh, we will talk to you. All right. Thank you. Okay. Thanks, Jim. Take okay. care. Yep. See you now. You got it. Ha, 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 ha.